As a thankful recipient of many, many skincare products over the years, I've learned to discern what is naturally actually activating my skin to rebalance and recalibrate on its own. That's what your skin is meant to be doing, and it keeps getting disrupted by all these choices that we make. So, when the founder and creator of Herbal Face Food reached out to me, I was all ears. I didn't know why at first. It turns out that Herbal Face Food is the most potent antioxidant skincare line on the market today, period. The raw plant ingredients in each of their products are never processed, never manipulated with synthetics or emulsifiers. These anti-aging botanicals are combined with the most precious plant concentrates, and they have changed my skin. Here's how. I'm going to talk about two of the products, the Herbal Face Food Serums and the Cream. The serums contain powerful phytoenzymes and antioxidants. These are activated and infused into your tissues. They hydrate and increase the resiliency of your skin, and they feel like they're plumping up your face. I use Serum 1 daily. I use Serum 2 when I'm tired and I need extra firming for my skin. And I use the X, which is also known as the Cure, for a small patch of rosacea that flares up every now and again, which you cannot see because of these products. When you feed your skin with herbal face food, you will feel real live ingredients at work. An activating flush, an invigorating tingle, some warmth, all of these are evidence of your skin healing at the cellular level and years of damage reversing. The cream is the most potent moisturizer I've ever tried, and I've tried them all. I live in the high desert. This cream contains 102 of the world's most powerful anti-aging botanicals and is also the world's first and only edible SPF <laughs> with a protection rating of SPF 50+. Plus. And this is accomplished 100% by plant power. And you can expect intense hydration, soothing for your tired skin. You can expect to see inflammation calmed and rebuilding of elasticity so your complexion looks and feels more smooth, and more radiant. Herbal face food is not plant-based. It's plant-powered. It has the highest rating on the ORAC anti-aging scale. ORAC means oxygen radical absorbance capacity. I never knew what that meant before. Highest, over 30 million on that scale. By contrast, vitamin C in skincare rates under 100,000. Herbal face food is using all post-consumer recycled materials and packaging. They use glass and aluminum, which is super easy to recycle as well. The products and packaging are 99% free of plastics. They contain no ingredients that involve the destruction or harm of any plant, animal, or marine life. These are 100% plants only, these products. These active concentrates are coming from the seeds, the fruits, the leaves, or the flowers of the plants only. These products have been a complete revolution for me. I know that you will love the way your skin looks and feels after using it even for just a day or two. And the best part is that Herbal Face Food has offered us, you, my community, a code to receive 20% off forever, ever. The code is capital E-L-E-N-A 20. Once again, that's my name in all caps, ELENA2020. The site is herbalfacefood.com. The code is all caps ELENA20. It's not just your first purchase, it's any purchase. You will love these products, and I am so grateful 
herbal face food for the change that you have made in my life. Thank you. Welcome to the Practice You podcast. My name is Elena Brower. Let's dive into today's conversation regarding life's myriad transitions and how we refine our responses in our relationships, our wellness, our households, our work, and in our practices. You are invited to learn and love and listen with me. Welcome to Practice You. Welcome back to the podcast. I have with me a relatively new friend, uh, one who's made quite an impression upon me upon coming and having a visit and a walk along with the dear Erica Mather. Roshana Green is with us today, and it's a real pleasure to have this heart and mind here. Welcome in. Thank you. Mm-hmm. So happy to be here with you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Allow me to introduce you to my listener. Roshana is a multidisciplinary wellness consultant focused on helping people heal and manage the stressful effects of change in all its forms. Everything is always changing, isn't it? Her work includes mental, embodied, and organizational practices that teach resilience and provide tools and resources to evolve, heal, and grow. Roshana draws on her life experience in navigating challenge and change, as well as her personal study, which spans across the realms of meditation, mindfulness, compassion, and embodied practices. You know what's nice, Roshana, is that when we met, we went for a long walk, and I was struck by your presence, your openness, your enthusiasm for all of life, and your willingness to not shy away from the harder conversations. Um, And that's why I invited you here. Uh, without putting any pressure whatsoever, I expect big things from you, my lady. Yeah. <laughs> no pressure. Uh, no, no pressure. Um, so today what I wanted to talk about with you, a little bit about your work. Uh, what is lighting you up these days? What are you bringing to the world? And really for what can we thank you for? And then also what the future holds for you. I think that you're an example for women and people of color who are finding their way into spaces that sometimes I've heard you say this very recently, sometimes even surprise you that you would be in spaces having privileges such as the ones that you have. And yet there are real experiences that you have uh, that you recounted to me, some of which on our walk, where things are not as sweet and not as privileged as one would hope. Um, So I'd like to talk about a little bit of all of that with you, if I may. I'd love that. Okay. I'd love that. Let's start by what is lighting you up these days. Honestly, what's lighting me up is inviting people to occupy and be in discomfort with me. Mm. (laughs) (laughs) I'm signing up. I'm signed up. How is that? How is that for starting? I'll I'll start right there. No, I'm perfectly signed up. Um, Yes, thank you. Please elaborate. What 
I increasingly am coming to notice and feel almost in my bones as foundational to so many of the ways we struggle with making one another feel included, feel like we belong, like one of these barriers to really creating, maintaining, cohesive, connected community is the way in which we avoid discomfort. And I think we do this as communities. We don't just do this as individuals either. Oh, yes. And that is the piece. That's the thing. We do this as individuals. We learn to do it as communities because, well, I mean, let's just name it. We're talking about change and challenge. Like being in discomfort is fundamentally, it's uncomfortable, right? No one's seeking that out. We don't want to be in a, or feel as though we're in a perpetual state of yuckiness, right? But the problem is this, that edge where we inevitably learn something new about ourselves, about individually or as communities or collective, that edge is often a moment or an incident or a space of discomfort that we can choose to bear with and be in and get curious about to learn and challenge ourselves to be together in different ways, like learn to do that, or we can hit the eject button or, you know, push it away, which then has all of these other, these ripple effects. Yeah. Well, for our listener, for example, uh, one of the things we can do is just be willing to engage in these conversations that aren't necessarily easy, but are very important around uh, topics like privilege and race, change, transitions of all kinds, you know? Yes. Our whole life, if you're, I don't know, 30, 35 or above, basically your whole life was a lie in some respects with regards to race. You Mm -hmm. thought certain things were true. There weren't other truths. And now we know there are many, many other truths that we were not aware of as kids. We know that things were much more harrowing and horrifying for people of color. We know a lot more about the way that the indigenous folks have been treated throughout time. It's a heavy heart that I hold when I think about all these things that I literally have just realized in my late 40s, whether they were hidden from me or I was prevented from learning them. Those are the kinds of things I think that we need to keep in the forefront of the conversation. And I think when I spoke to you when we were on our walk and you were talking about the work that you do in companies, organizational practices that you offer... Um, I think that is one place to begin. As much as our listener will probably hear this and it will have some ripple effect, I like the idea of you working in organizations and with groups of people to kind of elucidate these ways in which to become more and more comfortable with discomfort. Oh, yes, absolutely. It's funny because I'm both grateful for one of the after effects of George Floyd being murdered was 
more attention focus on the importance of diversity, equity, and inclusion in a variety of spaces in our society, in our world. And so what that's done is open conversation and all these doors in various organizations to make space for discussing this and focusing on this. And for me, what I'm really passionate about is what I believe is an opening to to shift away from what had previously been this focus on diversity. Like how do we invite different people into these spaces? Because that in and of itself was inherently flawed. And even though that invitation may have been coming from a, a good place, the thing is this, if you're inviting different folks into a space, you have to make sure the space is ready to not only just receive them, but to create and facilitate a sense of belonging and safety for them. Yeah. Because if you're not doing that, if you're not making that cultural shift, that change, that foundational change, then you get what many organizations are often challenged with, which is a revolving door where folks come in, but folks also leave. And everyone's, they're scratching their head trying to figure it out, right? It's so obvious that it's just some sort of quota. It's not actually the heart of the matter. Yeah, it's not the heart of the matter because the heart of the matter requires that we actually go deep within and that we're willing to make some real changes, cultural changes, changes that are like individual level changes, but also cultural group organizational changes. It circles back to how we navigate discomfort. Mm. Well, what is the way in which we even allow or welcome varying opinions, pushback? And this is what you teach uh, in organizations. So beautiful. It is. You know what I really start with? I start with foundationally talking about the brain, how we're naturally wired. As human beings, we're naturally wired to have our own set of bias and habit patterns that even if our heart is in the right place, we are inadvertently sometimes operating in a way that is not our most inclusive or equitable. So I really start people at that foundational understanding of here's how we're wired neurologically and how our systems uh, work to keep us safe and thriving. And sometimes that means we're not operating in our most connective, collaborative self. You know what I find interesting is if we can start there with some sort of sort of scientific, factual, grounded understanding, I think it's easier for folks to go from that to, and these are the things that we could consider shifting in what we think is true and what has been true for many, many decades and generations. I appreciate that uh, approach a lot. I knew I was going to learn something a lot today. (laughs) I knew it. I knew it. Um, Okay. So what's nice about that is 
to go from neurological sort of factual basis to shifting understandings about what's possible emotionally, transactionally, in the interactions between folks that might be challenging within the organization. And then, of course, if you're in an organization, you're serving someone. So the service is enhanced by the organizational harmony, which is always nice. You said the word belonging. And I want to make sure that we touch upon this because I, too, am such a proponent of ensuring that people feel a sense of belonging when they come near my sort of ecosystem of work, whether it's the podcast or a course or even on social media. I want folks to feel like they belong there. Um, Talk to us a little bit about how you facilitate more of a sense of belonging in your work organizationally. Absolutely. So what I want to say, just tying those two, these things together, is that you know, starting with that scientific foundation, all of this is uncomfortable, right? These are uncomfortable things to talk about, the ways in which we may unintentionally be othering folks, right? Or contributing to some of the harm that we would like to heal in the world. And when we start from a baseline of here's how we're wired, it's connective. We all have this in common, no matter what age we are or what bodies we occupy and other labels we can place on ourselves, these things do connect us. We have this in common and it takes us out of a space of being across a line, a divided line. So it's like, can we all start here and say, we have this in common and let's work from there. So we're not feeling like I'm good guy versus bad guy. We drop some of the labels, but it also gets us to understanding how we inadvertently compromise one another's sense and connection to belonging in spaces. And belonging is so on my mind right now Mm. for so many reasons. We all need some connection to community. And community doesn't need to be large. It could be small, medium, large. You could have various types of community. Like a small family unit could be your community or friend groups or different social spaces that you're involved in, or it could be large organizations. But just that connection to other human beings is something we need to thrive to tap into a sense of and an ability to thrive. Yeah, and I think we compromise constantly our capacity for actually evolution and growth by shying away from what's difficult. Every time I've walked into what's difficult, uncomfortable, really feels like I might even be compromising my own integrity, I find I learned something. (laughs) You know what I mean? And it wasn't a compromise at all. In fact, it was a real opening. Yes, that even. This is a challenge, even though I do this work, I personally, I find this challenging every day. I come into these or run into, you know, somewhat of a a wall where either the way in which someone is showing up in space or communicating with me or being towards others in some way I'm witnessing feels challenging. And I 
might experience in my body this visceral sense of just wanting to not be in the presence of that, right? Push that away. Like, I don't want this experience. I don't want to witness it. I don't want to be personally in the experience of it. However, that doesn't change anything. And if I stay with it and get curious about the why, find a compassionate way of challenging it. And compassionate, I do not mean just being nice or superficially glossing over uh, behaviors that we shouldn't tolerate um, in society or even being in presence with. What I mean by compassion is being able to say or ask, why is this happening or why are you showing up this way or what's going on for you? And being able to bear with the pieces of it that may be making me feel uncomfortable so I can seek to build a bridge as opposed to building a wall. Hmm. Build a bridge. Yeah. Yeah. For as long as I can do that, I'll keep going and doing this podcast. And I feel like people like you who are very conscious of that possibility are changing the world. I hope so. Yeah. I think so. I think so, which is why I do it, which is why it is the reason why I do it. Because I think it incrementally changes the world. It may not be this large thing where, you know, you see this immediate change with masses of folks, but even one by one, and the more of us that are out here willing to do this, we're individually impacting every person we do this with, every group of people we do this with. That's meaningful change. It feels meaningful to me. Yeah. Yep. It feels meaningful to me. I think we just have to keep doing what we're doing. We Thank you, Element, for sponsoring the Practice You podcast. We have been personally using Element for well over a year. Element is spelled L-M-N-T. Elemental electrolyte salts that have completely changed the game around my house. Every night before bed, James and I split a packet. Helps us sleep, helps us get good solid rest, and helps combat fatigue, muscle pain, fogginess, irritability even. Did you know that your cells need electrolytes for optimal function? And if you're struggling with any of those things, you might just be deficient in electrolytes. They facilitate hundreds of cellular functions in your body, including nerves, hormone regulation, nutrient absorption, fluid balance. Element contains 1,000 milligrams of sodium, 200 milligrams of potassium, and 60 milligrams of magnesium. No artificial anything in here, no sugar, no nothing. My favorite flavors, as I said, orange watermelon and the chocolate caramel in hot water is just incredible. Element comes in tiny single-serving packets you can carry with you wherever you go. They're great on planes as well. With my link, you get a free sample pack with any order so that you can try all the flavors. And that link is drinkelement.com forward slash Elena. The spelling is D-R-I-N-K-L-M-N-T dot com forward slash Elena. Thank you. Thank you so much again, Element. Again, the link drinkelement.com forward slash Elena.
we have to keep doing what we're doing. What was the weirdest organizational situation into which you entered where you had to apply everything that you've ever learned in this realm? <laughs> oh. Mm, that's an interesting one. What immediately came to mind was something that was more of a rigid, financially focused-based institution. But what I think is more surprising than that is a yoga-based organization. There's this notion that organizations that are already working from a place of mindfulness and compassion, they're a few steps ahead. And I think people would be really surprised to realize that Sometimes baked in is this bypassing of the work that still needs to be done. Because just knowing the things and knowing the concepts isn't the same as applying them day in, day out. Let's, let's think of an example. Okay. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you have one in your work. I don't want to use myself as an example because it's just going to seem self-congratulatory. I'm proud of what I've managed to do, but I want to hear if you have any examples of that. Like, okay, guys, you know, we have to actually show up and do the thing. Um, In my particular case, I'll share that I looked at my podcast after Mr. Floyd was murdered. I looked back at the history and literally, I think I had two people of color on the podcast and I was so embarrassed And then I was like, you know what? I'm not going to spend one more moment in embarrassment. I am going to start paying attention to who is coming in this podcast. Whom can I feature and share with my audience that is clearly not being exposed to the people who are doing wonderful things in communities of color? So I just set about doing that. I love that. I mean, it was a small thing. It's both small and it's large. It's both. Mm. I think it's both because the small things speak to that foundational shift that we have to be willing to be introspective about, that you set about some introspection to explore what ways in which you might be upholding something that you would like to see shifted and changed, right? I definitely was upholding it. Like totally inadvertently. Oh my God. (laughs) So silly. Here's the thing. And you, thank you for your share because your share reminded me of and brought me to what I'd like to share is no matter what body we're in, because we have been, you know, raised in this same society, we all have played roles in upholding some of the things we'd like to dismantle. So as a, a black cisgendered, woman. And this ties into belonging and and things I want to cultivate. Part of belonging is being in a space and feeling like you can occupy it in your most authentic self, your most authentic way. And prior to this current work that I'm doing, I spent 15 plus years working in conservative corporate organizations in like medical device, life science industry. And I spent quite a bit of time code switching. Like, and I mean, actively thinking as a black woman, 
if I want to be successful in this space, what version of me should show up here? What do I need to look like? How do I need to speak? How do I need to bite my tongue? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Speak differently. Oh, speak properly. Speak properly. But so much about how do I need to withhold how I truly and authentically process challenge and change and discomfort in this space. What is welcome here? What's not? And what's not welcome here, I'm leaving at the door. And I'll tell you what I've done, my challenge to myself in the past few years, and it was also heightened by that same period of time you just referenced with George Floyd. I got really introspective and thought about what are the ways in which if I have an opportunity to represent and hold space in a way that models how I want all of us to be able to show up authentically, what am I doing that's not in alignment with that? And I've challenged myself to push back in spaces and show up as me. And I'll be very explicit. What that means is I have shed these notions of not being able to or not being acceptable for me to show emotion, whether that meant, you know, tears coming up, expressing my hurt in the moment and not in a reactive way, but in a I'm being fully present and here's what's arriving for me way or compassionately naming what's happening in front of me to say, here's what I'm witnessing and here's the harm I'm witnessing happen or here's how it's impacting me and also ultimately challenging folks in spaces to do the same and also pause and make space to be with what is actually happening. Yeah. It's one of those things that we can't do unless we're presented with the opportunity. And I think a lot of folks, a lot of white folks anyway, we need to actually put ourselves into the position of discomfort more of the time and just be willing to learn. This is not about being made wrong. And I think that's one of the important aspects here to point out, you know, you might want to just turn us off because we're not really teaching you anything, are we? But we are. Because I think what Rashada has to teach is go put yourself into a position that isn't comfortable. Don't go in there thinking that you have to fix it. But go in there knowing that you can actually listen, learn, and maybe have an impact in the future of this structure a positive, beneficent impact in the future of this structure that has favored whiteness for so long and has... I love um, it. But I- <laughs> just like, can't we just do this? More of us need to do this more of the time, period. Yeah, but I really want to circle back to what you just said. It's not about wrong-making in those moments. We can only do this work when we're presented with the opportunity. And what I am hell-bent on doing is not letting us waste those opportunities. So 
if I'm in space and I see an opportunity arise, I think, yes, here we are with an opportunity to be together and learn something about ourselves. It's not about a wrong making. It's like learning something about ourselves and how we can grow in being together. And I work with others to help them better identify and not overlook or push away those moments, those gems, these precious gifts of moments to do this work together. Well, I hope that at least one person, one of our listeners gets inspired to go just slightly out of your comfort zone and include a person of color or consider changing the conversation just a little bit in some very familiar place in your life. Maybe it's work, maybe it's personal. And just see how it feels. Get a little uncomfortable, you learn a little something new, and you single-handedly have changed one thread of this very thick yarn that is the narrative that has wound us up and bound us up for so many generations that must change. Yes. That's all I can say. Yes. Um, yes. Any other examples from you of things that you have learned along the way? Mm. I think that I want people to get that this isn't just beneficial for you know, people of color or those that are marginalized, right? Us creating this belonging or welcoming them in. This is beneficial to us all. We all learn and grow by having the spaces we're in be more diverse in all ways. And so representation matters. It matters to stop that revolving door, right? It matters to have folks come into a space and say, oh, I see others like me here. And I see how, yeah, I want to stay here. And it's not about perfectionism. It's not about a space being perfect. I think we also, we have to soften around that. It doesn't need to be perfect. It's that, you know, the compass is, you know, pointing north, like we're heading in a direction of continual growth and improvement. And people want to join that ride and go, you know, move in that direction. So nothing needs to be perfect. It's just, can we be moving in the same direction? Yeah, yeah. Reading a couple of books right now. Uh, one is Kiese Lehman's latest, which I can't recommend highly enough. I've learned so much and it's so uncomfortable. And then um, Yasmin Cheyenne, who wrote a book called The Sugar Jar. Mm. Oh, my God. I mean, as a white person, I just need to keep on reading because folks who are coming out bravely and talking about how fucking hard it is to sit in a room where nobody looks like you, to go to a classroom for years of your life where no teacher and no other student looks like you, to read books where nobody sounds like you, to listen to, I mean, the list goes on. And, you know, as I go a little bit more deeply into this consideration, I just develop more heart space, let me say, for our listener. It's like my heart is growing 
<laughs> it makes me cry a little bit. My heart is growing like I finally understand. I, I could never understand, but I'm finally understanding like how hard it is to just walk through a day as a person of color in the United States of America. Damn. And the thing is, just you, you doing that work and allowing for that opening and that heart expansion, it expands my heart because what that does for me is it makes me feel more seen and understood and heard. And if that isn't at the, like, the core of cultivating like belonging, I don't know what is. Like that, it starts to break down these walls of feeling isolated in a struggle that you've had. And like, let's be clear, I still occupy so many spaces. Like I am part of a leadership team at a nonprofit where I'm the only person of color and I'm fortunate to be working in a space where we are hell-bent on embedding equity in everything that we do, but I'm always running into these walls where I feel like, am I the only person that gets this through this lens, that's seeing this perspective, Hmm. that's bringing this perspective, and even just the weight of feeling like you have to be the one in space to raise an issue or bring awareness to something is taxing. Yeah, it's a lot of pressure. It's taxing. It's just taxing. It's the reason why I was telling you before we began, I needed a few days staring at the mountains to just recharge myself. Yeah. <sighs> well, you know, for our listener... Hi. Thank you for listening to us go on about this. I think that more of this is what we need to do. We need to do it quietly. We need to do it loudly. We need to do it in the smallest, tiniest, little, most inconsequential moments. And we need to do it in the moments that matter. Be alert to the people of color in your life. Allow them to shine. Invite them to shine. Um, create opportunities for you to get really deeply uncomfortable with the status quo in order to change it. Those are a few things I can think of to say right now. Yes. Yes. And just thank you. I like that. Thank you. No, thank you. This is a wonderful opportunity. I cherish um, that walk. We took so do I. Uh, Erica Mather connecting yes. us. I thought, I'm like, I love when life gives us these little gifts. Connective yes. yes. gifts that feel like expansion, expansion of community. Yeah. I felt so safe talking to you and like asking questions that I probably would never have asked. So thank you for that. I, lo- I loved that. Yeah. I'm hell-bent on that. What individually and in community creating that comfort because I know that 
curiosity can sometimes get us into trouble, right? <laughs> you know, we can feel as though or maybe we've been received in certain ways after asking certain questions just from a place of wanting to learn. And I pride myself on being a safe space for curiosity so that I can foster connection. So thank you for seeing that. Thank you for feeling that from me. That also, that makes me feel so understood and so seen. I feel like you get me. I think I do. And I really just mostly appreciate your kindness, your generosity of spirit, openness, like I said at the beginning, enthusiasm. I would love to share with our listener where they can find you. Mm. They can find me on my website is going to be the best way, which is sprashanagreen.com. That is the best way to find what I'm working on, what I'm passionate about, connects to my social media. Yeah. Okay, good. And let's just and spell it for our listener just in case. R-A-H-S-H-A-A-N-A. Okay. Rashana. And thank you for the raw. <sighs> it is. It is actually Rashana. I know. <laughs> That's, so I really <sighs> appreciate. Um, yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah. That little moment. Yeah. Till soon, I think we should do a part two. I do expect great things from you. Uh, I feel like there is some sort of, I don't even want to encourage you to write a book because books are neither here nor there at times. I would. Oh, I have a book in me. Amazing. I have a book. Okay, so book. I didn't want to put the pressure on, but book. I would love to see you do some coursework. Oh, you know, you are, we're aligned. Book is in me and also coursework good. is I'm spending some time in this current season working through some of that. Excellent. That makes me happy. The world needs what you've got. Thank you. Sending you so much love, my dear. I'm receiving it and I'm sending Thank you, AG1, for sponsoring the Practice You podcast. My listener, you've been hearing me talk about AG1 for some time. I think I've been taking it daily for almost three years. 75 high-quality vitamins, minerals, whole food sourced superfoods, probiotics, and adaptogens in one scoop in the morning. The best way to start your day supports your gut health, your nervous system, your immune system, your energy, recovery, focus, and longevity, the conversation of the moment. The taste is delicious. It's suitable whether you eat keto, paleo, vegan, dairy-free, or gluten-free. It contains less than one gram of sugar. No nonsense in here at all. It's a multivitamin that your body will actually absorb. 
If you are wanting to make an investment in your health and longevity, AG1 costs you less than $3 a day, far less expensive, and definitely less time-consuming than many different supplements. Reclaim your health. Arm your immune system with convenient, delicious daily nutrition. And since you listen to the Practice You podcast, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of immune-boosting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is go to athleticgreens.com forward slash Elena. Once again, that's athleticgreens.com forward slash E-L-E-N-A. Take ownership of your health, my listener. And thank you, Athletic Greens and AG1.